Hello and a very warm welcome to the Big Bright podcast. My name's Emma and today we're welcoming Melanie Burke from Brand Stencil. A blurry logo here or a rogue typeface there can erode the strength of your brand identity and it can be hard to keep track of what's coming and going. Brand Stencil is on a mission to make the creation of brand documents easy and consistent using intuitive formula that even the most design adverse user can use. With competition popping up in every industry, it's more important than ever to put the thought into developing a strong brand. Not only does it set you apart from others, but it also showcases what you stand for. Today, we're chatting to Melanie, co-founder of Brand Stencil, a genius offering that allows companies to create branded Comstocks at the click of a mouse, picking her brains on how to create a brilliant brand even on a budget. We met Melanie when we integrated our asset bank dam with Brand Stencil, and so far it's been a match made in tech heaven. Welcome, Melanie. Hello. Welcome to the Bright HQ. <laughs> Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. As a fellow Brightonian, seems only right to have you here. Exactly, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about your role at Brand Stencil and what you guys offer? Yeah, of course. So I'm co-founder at Brand Stencil and our product is for busy marketeers having one of two problems. They're either finding that they're completely overwhelmed with requests for artwork across their organisation or they are allowing people to make their own artwork but everyone's going, completely off brand and frankly making some fairly ugly designs. So what Brand Stencil does is a software as a service platform. We create a suite of customizable templates that anyone across the organization can use to create on-brand artwork in moments, never having to touch the marketing team's workload. So that's what our product does. Where we integrate with Asset Bank is that it's great when we come across an organization that's already using Asset Bank because we know they're already thinking about how to manage their marketing assets. What BrandSensor does is it means that we integrate with the platform so that when you're making your artwork from a template, we integrate so you can directly collect any of the images that you want to use from your asset bank dam seamless yeah and it is seamless they work perfectly together and the end user doesn't even really know they're not being told where they are or what they're doing they're just getting access to the correct images that they're allowed to use right at the point they need to use them amazing so you guys focus on clients within the charity and not-for-profit sectors so what was the thinking behind this and the focus brand sensor is a product that's built by electric putty which is also my company we're a web development agency based in Hove way way back a long time ago I used to work in the advice sector and then I moved into tech and when I first started moving worked in tech we work with the charity and not-for-profit sector. Once we set up Electric Putty, that just continued. But also, there is something about working with organisations that have purpose. It's a great area to work in. And all of the people that work in that sector are really lovely and passionate about what they do. So it's sort of double win. However, with Brand Stencil, we aren't just charity sector focused. We are look, working in other industries as well. And yeah, I can happily report that people in other sectors are really nice too. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> the thinking behind the name Electric Putty just out of interest? So we set up the business, me and my husband. We were thinking about it when we were living in Sydney in Australia and the whole idea, I mean this shows shows how old we are and what our age is, the idea was about sort of interfaces so what we were trying to do is differentiate ourselves from print agencies 
people who are working primarily in print to people working in this new media called the internet. And so we wanted to call ourselves Digital Putty because it was all about an interface and the sort of flexibility of the putty, mm. creating the interface that you wanted. But Digital Putty had gone, the domain name, so we became Electric Putty. <laughs> I wonder how many companies have that, that they, they start off with one thing and then they, yeah, they have to kind of like tweak and keep finding, yeah. you type in the synonyms or something to Google. We've been called electric potty um <laughs> and electric puppy over ah. the years so so yeah brand stencils a bit more of an obvious offering you've obviously been working with many brands over the years with brand stencil in your opinion what makes a strong brand my focus on what makes a strong brand is around brand governance and so that's about making sure that the effort and the resource that and organisations put into their brand, into the brand positionings, into the brand values and the messaging, as well as into the identity, are not lost in the ongoing brand execution. We have lots of organisations come to us who are either just gone through a rebrand or are just in the process of it. And the reason they want a templating system is that then they don't just giving people, here's our shiny new brand guidelines and no one knows what to do with them. So I think that many brands start out strong, but then it becomes diluted because of this issue around brand governance. People come and go as well. You need to have that one ambassador of the brand. Is that what you mean by the governance? Having you know someone that's your brand ambassador almost? Brand governance is really all about the process of ensuring that brands remain consistent and cohesive. So a part of brand governance is the brand ambassador. It's also the brand guidelines. It could be the brand identity is part of that. The templates that you present, even if they're in design templates or in word templates, that's all part of your, how do you manage the execution of this brand? editing guidelines that could be part of the brand as well the yeah, tone of voice tone is obviously voice. a key part of that but more than that it's like we use these words we don't use these words or how we spell mm. things so all of that is brand governance so I think what makes a brand strong is obviously there's that excitement at the beginning everyone's really excited we've got this new brand it's great but it's about how you then keep presenting that. I think you notice that a lot on social media when you have different people talking from those platforms and obviously it's it's kind of the brand but you can really tell if they have their guidelines and I know we always talk about people like Innocent but they are the people that do that really well. They, you know, no matter who's answering things, it's always in that same tone and it might sound slightly different but they wouldn't use certain words and, you know, they, they have a sort of a jovial quality to their writing. So I think it's really important and it can be quite jarring, especially I think sometimes brands have, you know, a certain tone of voice for their like email marketing and then you go to their website and it's completely different. Yeah. And you kind of think, well, that doesn't quite, you know, match up. And I think having that really clear guidance or even with like image guidelines and things just across every part of your communication is really important. Yeah. I think tone of voice is a really hard one, actually. A lot of people who don't work in the brand world, when they think of brand, they think, what does it look like? Logo. And they've forgotten <laughs> about all of that stuff that goes with it. Mm -hmm. And what brand governance is doing is going, okay, we're going to make sure that we consistently consistently present the right identity so that when you see it you remember and have all those emotions that we want you to have about this brand that personality comes across so that's why I think that that's really important 
the thing about tone of voice that makes it really hard is that often even with identity, so for example, with a platform like ours, you know, you're thinking about what does it look like, but somebody's still going to write the words in. We have found some ways around that where we allow people to choose from a drop down so they can have sort of key messages that the organisation has or preset content, which you can edit and change. And that's also about then educating people because they start seeing that content all of the time. But tone of voice is a real challenge because that's the kind of the bit that people put in themselves although you can have approval processes and things which help with that too that's sort of the gap isn't it it's the human part of what you do another thing around brand governance it maybe isn't traditionally that because governance is the kind of brand cop people talk about the brand police you know somebody Mm -hmm. who's wielding the the truncheon and telling everyone what to do but actually it's moved much more now into being about brand coaching part of your governance should be how do we make sure that people understand what the brand's about. That's interesting because we did a podcast not long ago with Vic who did the rebrand at Bright's and a lot of what she talks about is not being held hostage by your brand guidelines, not having too lengthy a brand guideline because people will just look at it and be like, oh God, and like immediately shy away from it. So I guess it's having it simple enough that you can pick it up and it's very quick to get to where you need to get, but not feeling like you're trapped within it. Exactly. And also giving people at the different layers or the different levels the right information. So often with our product, people like service managers using it, we work with Alzheimer's Society. If you're a service manager, you're running a dementia cafe, you need to be able to tell people when the dementia cafe is on. You're not a designer, you're not even a marketing person. You just need to be able to make something and get that thing out there so that people see it. So for those people, you don't even really need to explain it to them. They just get something that works. And then for others who are going to need to be more of your brand advocates, those are the ones that you give them the more in-depth guidelines. So the governance is around all of those different things, I think. Brand stencil has probably been used many times now to create those sort of branded COVID regs for people because they had to do that really quickly as well. Yeah, well, that's interesting Mm. because I suspect that people probably did just go, right, quick, word dot, write it out, stick the logo on there and and have it done. And I've seen quite a few things because I walk around and I look and I think, oh they've used something or have they not you know how you do a sort of bit of busman's holiday yeah I think some of that does go out of the window in those more crisis situations but actually that's where it's really important that it does look like this has come from the organization itself yeah. so that's where brand governance is and it's important. always a nice surprise when you see something that has been branded I always quite like it and platform actually the co-working space do that really well they always keep their tone of voice no matter whether it's a broken tap or mm. you know an event they've got on and I think that's really clever and that's a nice example of a brand being portrayed really well across all those mediums yeah so I think the last point on that around the brand governance is it can sort of directly affect your bottom line as well again using the example of charities for a charity they need people to know what services they're providing in the community. So if you are running some sort of service that you're doing on behalf of a charity, and the charity can do that because it's been funded through donations, some services are provided through the local authority, but that charity needs people to know so that when they start doing their fundraising ask, 
there's a connection. They think, oh yeah, I see they do all these different things in the community. I recognise that brand and I know what they do. So I think that's also why sometimes brand can feel a bit nebulous and oh, I don't really understand why we need to do that. Why do we need to do that? You know, why does it matter that we don't just do a Word document with, you know, pink Comic Sans or something? Um, <laughs> and that, yeah, and that's why, because you need that consistent and cohesiveness so that everyone recognises who you are and all the great stuff that you do. Absolutely. So for those starting a new business, obviously there's loads to think about. And you talked about people kind of saying, you know, sometimes you think of a brand as being like a logo or something visual. What would you say would be the crucial branding first steps you'd recommend smaller companies or those with a smaller budget to invest in? If you're a really small organisation, you're just starting out, it is probably those basic things. It is a good logo. It is what we've said before, a strong tone of voice. But really your tone of voice is going to come through thinking about your buyer personas. So it's kind of going back to basics, I think, and not just going, right, we need a logo. What's it going to look like? Because that's the sort of end part of that process. So actually probably spending your budget on understanding who you're communicating with. A brand discovery session or something. Yeah. Yeah. And then you might not have as much budget left for the identity bit but at least you've got some consistency and an understanding around what it is that you're doing and then when you're ready to invest in that logo you can then do that with this research that you've already done it's a lot easier to brief a designer or someone isn't it when you actually can say this is the audience this is you know who we're trying to hit and this is what we don't like this is what we do like yeah and you're going to end up with something that's more successful and probably has more longevity as well you know there's another side of it where you just think well don't worry about that too much at this point because you're probably doing (laughs) lots of other things as well but you do need people to recognize who you are so if you are thinking about it from an identity perspective then yeah it is the logo that needs to be front and center so even if you're not creating other marketing material you know you can put that logo on things and it's going to feel strong and it's going to connect people with your brand which brands do you admire personally and why i can think of two that i really like well there's three but one of them is controversial so that one of them i love and i'm a bit of a brand fan is Monzo. I love Monzo. Yeah. They look great because you get your lovely pink card and people go, mm-hmm. and not that I ever use a card anymore, but if I no. did, because I do everything on my phone, you've got a lovely bright pink card that just pops. So it looks great, but they've got such consistency across the whole brand. You know what you were saying before about everything, even the thing about the broken taps got the correct tone of voice. It's yeah. really consistent. I feel like Monzo do that as well. Yeah, even on the app, they just sometimes like even the pop up stuff is just really well thought through. And it's, yeah, it's just, it's a joy to use. And that's weird, isn't it, when you're talking about a banking app? Exactly. How have they made banking sexy? I don't know, but they have. Yeah. But it's like the cool thing to have a Monzo now. And also, you know, people talk about disruptor brands and everything, which they are, because when you set up your account, I remember I had to make a video of myself. (laughs) Which is really really, awkward. Really awkward, but really cool. different that is totally disruptive it's not you need to get your birth certificate and your bank account you know and you need to get all of your information and somebody's gonna you know you go down you fill in a massive form it was just all different and it was done really quickly so that's kind of part of their process I suppose but 
it's all part of that brand feeling that you get when you think about them. You think that they're cool. You think they're disruptive. They look great. The other thing I think, and we've both went, oh, I love Monzo, is that you feel like you're part of a community. And that's another thing around sort of brand governance is that's really changing, is that what brands should be doing is creating a community of people who all become their brand advocates. Well, so that's that- the reason I got Monzo, because my friend Caroline would not stop going on about Monzo. It also was at the right time, like I was about to go abroad and she was like, oh, have you got a Monzo? And this is why. Isn't that funny how she was the brand advocate and I didn't even, I probably wouldn't have downloaded it from any other way. So how are they doing that? It's really clever, isn't it? Yeah, and I think that's the thing is that you know we were talking about these different sort of levels of people who sort of managing the brand and brand advocates are one of them so what you're doing is trying to create that community of people who are all massive brand fans and that's uh, the dream isn't and it that's the dream. brand <laughs> and then you know and then it's funny because it does become less about that identity element it is more about like-minded people who feel a connection with something and then the second brand that I really like is Amnesty international i mean firstly i do believe in what they're trying to do as well so maybe that draws me in anyway but it is an absolutely instantly recognizable global brand and the kind of the yellow and the black and the white is what they use extensively they have pink as well actually which is quite harsh colors in a way aren't they yeah so i wonder where that came from yeah a serious you know they deal with serious subjects yeah my feeling is that i haven't read this in their brand guidelines is they're trying to sort of instill a sense of emergency in people as well but they have recently gone through a kind of review of what their their brand is i think that happened around 2017 and they refocused that around people working together for a common cause so creating this sort of global community of people who care about humanity and care about human rights so again it's that community thing that they've created which is really effective do you work with them with brand stencils? no you don't <laughs> i'd love oh, to though. that'd be like an yeah, ideal yeah. client wouldn't they yeah they'd be amazing and also because they're global so i think how they work is you've got amnesty international there's a sort of global organization but then each country is its own charity in itself as well but they still manage to bring all of those different brands together and when i've worked with global organizations before people tend to you know kind of go oh we don't quite do things like that over here in South Africa so trying to bring everyone under one brand but still have that local flavor is quite tricky yeah it's really tricky isn't yeah it? so I looked at Amnesty International Australia the other day and, and the UK and from an identity perspective they're really cohesive yeah do you think that tools such as Rand Stencil will eventually kind of dispel the need for a designer or can they exist hand in hand I feel really strongly about this and I get asked about this a lot Brand Stencil is not a design tool it's a productivity tool It's to help marketing and design creative people to free up their time to do more creative tasks. Mm -hmm. It's not intended in any way to replace what designers do. I guess it can't think of all the brand discovery behind it. It just puts the rules in place. Exactly. We sometimes say it's tools, not rules. I don't need to know that when this is a quote from a service user, for example, to take an example for one of the brands we work with, that we need to use a different font. You just asked me a question, is this for a service user? And if I say yes, then the system automatically chooses the right font. Some of our kind of what we call product owners at our clients, they are the designers 
because they're completely overwhelmed with really boring work. They don't want to be making a poster for a, for a service or making a business card. They want to be freed up to work to the top of their game and do really creative stuff. So I see Brand Stencil as a tool which gives people back time and allows them to do creative stuff. And what Brand Stencil does is automate and distribute some of those lower level tasks. So it's got the kind of the same aim really as asset bank because asset banks the idea is to make it easier for designers and creatives to stop trawling through everything and trying to find the right image and trying to find the right fonts or the latest logo and i think that's where obviously brand stencil has a very similar aim it's all about trying to give people back the time and stop getting dragged down in all the boring, you know, like make a COVID regulation poster. No one wants to do that. Exactly. So if you can do that really quickly and it be on brand, then ace. <laughs> yeah. Another kind of nice side effect is that it empowers everyone across the organisation as well because they don't have to go to the marketing team or design team. Do you mind doing me a poster? Or it's like, great, I can do that myself. There's no back and forth of you spelt that wrong or actually we've changed where this particular event is happening because that person is empowered to do it themselves so those two things go hand in hand you're freeing up the time you're empowering people and also actually you're educating people about the brand because they're using it all the time so it's definitely not a design tool which sounds a bit weird but it's like a designer's best friend yeah (laughs) can I have that yeah (laughs) you can have that for free definitely in terms of brand loyalty I think that's a really interesting thing at the moment because there's so many people that obviously don't have brand loyalty they flip from one thing to the other to do with price but do you have any tips and I guess do you believe in brand loyalty and and what are your tips for creating it or increasing it yeah I do really believe that people have brand loyalty and I think if you look at some statistics it will say that price does tend to be the thing that people make their choices on I think it does depend on what the brand is though I do as as well. well for example if you look at something like Oatly. Oatly is much more expensive than cow's milk, probably two or three times the price in some instances. Yeah. But people will choose to buy it because of what they're buying into. And some of that is around veganism and environmental things, but also, but some of it is also because they've managed to make their brand look cool and interesting. And this is the thing we should all be doing. So I don't think that people always make choices on price. I think they make choices on the quality of the product as well. I was going to say, because Oatly for me is the best oat milk I've tried. I will pay more for better taste. But I wonder whether if there was a cheaper brand that did it, whether I'd still go for Oatly because I like their marketing. Yeah. Today, maybe. And obviously there's Oatly's all mired in lots of controversy at the moment around the Trump equity company that invested and they've also invested in the Trump campaign. So it'll be interesting to see how they get around that. But I did buy a different oat milk in the supermarket the other day. It does taste as nice. So I wondered whether, you know, when I went back, if I didn't have the issues around the the kind of investment controversy, whether I would always stick with Oatly. I think the quality of the product as well, how good it is. And then the other side of that is also the customer experience. So it might be that the quality of the product isn't as great, but if you had a really good customer experience with them, then also you're happy to pay more for that and you will be loyal to that brand because of it. So yeah, price is important. But I think experience that you give people through the brand, the customer experience. I always think that was weight I mean, 
shopping in Waitrose is a it's like a nice experience I always think like why am I I don't shop in Waitrose all the time by the way if I could I would and it's because I like everything from just like getting a space in the car park it's just a more chilled environment everything kind of looks nice and they've got a juice bar and you know it's all that stuff it's really clever that they've created that brand but they've almost reversed that now because they're trying to become more mainstream so they're trying to dial down you know the sort of poshness of of their brand yeah and appeal to the more everyday shopper but I think yeah like sometimes you just will pay for an experience yeah don't you? I had to claim on my travel insurance there was a big storm and they cancelled loads and loads of flights in the UK from Gatwick and we ended up having to get two aeroplanes to get to our holidays. It's such first world problems here. Where were you going? Um, we were going to Lanzarote. Mm-hmm. We ended up having, you know, it's a very complicated journey to get there. And actually on the way home, there was a there was a sandstorm, but that didn't actually affect us. Oh, no. But we got out like the last plane out. So some people would have had both ends of their holiday disrupted. Anyway, I had insurance with LV, Liverpool, Victoria. There are other insurance companies uh, we don't endorse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> LV. And uh, honestly, I had the best customer experience. That's good, because I'm with them as well. So thinking. I've, and I, this was actually my second claim. And I rang them and said, oh, this all happened and everything. And no one could get through for weeks because of COVID had then kicked in and the lockdown had happened and I spoke to somebody and they were amazing like they were amazing they didn't even ask me for evidence of all of my flights and everything they just took it on value which wow. never heard of yeah with an insurance um, company and uh they said well because we're so you know we've got so many calls coming in we just this is we're just dealing with it quickly and then when my next quote came it was much higher but I just stayed with them because I knew that if I ever needed to claim, it was going to be the same. It was going to be a good experience for me. People will pay for that because we're time poor. If you've got experience and you know that you can trust them, like, and we all hear horror stories of cheap insurance companies that mess you around. So to point out as well that all of this is based on being able to afford to make those price choices. So I'm in the position where I can afford to choose to pay more for something. Mm. Obviously, there's a lot of people that's not possible so there's different levels then of brand loyalty isn't there and maybe the sweet spot is creating that community where you do just feel really invested in the brands and if you can afford it you will pay for it yeah and you're getting something back as well so Mm -hmm. I got something back from that experience which was actually did have actually have a monetary value so to finish off what would you say is the most satisfying part of your role at brand stencil I love working in tech I've always loved it ever since I sort of got involved in working in web development it was just interesting you learn something new all the time it's fast-paced environment things are changing so you never get bored which I love I also could call me nosy but maybe curious I love helping people solve problems so I like to hear the issues that people are having and think about creative ways to help people solve those problems it's a very web developer kind of thing isn't it yeah (laughs) problem solvers yeah exactly and so that's a really nice way those two sort of things come together because there's always a way to do something with tech but also I mean brand sensor is a fairly new product and I've really enjoyed learning about so moving from web development into building your own product and building a SaaS business and being able to have ideas around your product and then develop those ideas based on those problems that people have so you can grow your own thing whereas when you're in web development which is also great but you are helping people on their own products so yes this is your baby it's your <laughs> baby yeah and you can then have a good 
idea and you can then see that idea through to fruition. So it's really enjoyable. Melanie, it's been so nice having you with us. I've learned loads about brand and I thought I knew a bit about brand, but it's just been nice to hear your perception of it as well. And uh, yeah, it's been a joy to have you in. So thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me. I've really enjoyed it. My first podcast. Oh, well, <laughs> you were a natural. Ah, thank you. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Please remember to subscribe to ensure you never miss an episode. You can find out more top tips from the Bright team on our website at bright-interactive.co.uk.